Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm in for Bill all week on 900 CHML, 980 CFPL also. We start with, well, two major stories, a reopening plan to be announced by the province. Some of the details skimming out already, but what would be too soon for some things to open as compared to the outdoor restrictions that have been in place that I think we all agree, not based in science, pretty archaic. Been 35 days. We'll also talk about Ontario offering AstraZeneca for second shots. Stephen Del Duca, one of our guests, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, he'll weigh in on what he's expecting to hear this afternoon. And we look ahead to what the Liberals can accomplish before the next provincial election. Dr. Shady Ashimala joins me, head of general surgery at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. We talk about the potential lifting of outdoor restrictions and the ability for Ontario hospitals and surgeons like himself to resume non-urgent surgeries and procedures. And Greg Wyshynski will join a senior NHL writer at ESPN to weigh in south of the border with a perspective on Leafs Canadians for the first time in 42 years. It's the Bill Kelly Podcast. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Cautious optimism. I'm tired of taking caution with things. I'm tired of amber lights in my like right in front of my eyeballs my retinas my corneas constantly be careful about this be careful about that and that's not about what you say on the radio i don't tend to worry about that kind of stuff we did a story about um whether <laughs> whether people should be weighed before they get on the airplane so yeah i'm pretty comfortable with uh you know if, if I, don't, I don't try not to tread too terribly lightly but today might be different First of all, I'll get home and there'll be a brand new front lawn on my drive, like beside my driveway. Uh, I'm a little concerned about a couple of the undulations. I'm a little concerned there's a bit of a slope factor, but you know, I sent a, I sent a lovely, uh, thankful email to the guys doing the work, um, uh, a little later on. Uh, I was really worried they didn't commission both my, uh, teenage boy children to come out and help them. But either way, you know, they'll, they'll learn the value of a dollar at some point in time. But we've got summer weather. We've got outdoor restrictions getting lifted. But there's that caution light. It's right in front of my face right now. I saw a stat about an hour ago that we are at 102 cases per 100,000 for COVID-19 across the province. When the UK reopened, they were at 23. There are some things that absolutely make sense to allow us, the citizens of Ontario, to do. And there are some things that won't. I want things. You want things. And I'm curious to know what are the things you want. 289-276-6772 is the text line. Text me there. 289-276-6772. What are the things you want open in the next three or four weeks? What are the things we shouldn't touch? I put the text out on my Twitter early on. There's a couple of people that say it's a no-fly zone on schools. Doesn't that depend where you live? Doesn't like that? That's for you. So we got two ways to do this: two eight nine two seven six six seven seven two. What should we be opening in the next four weeks? What should we not? Like I would tell you, my gym was open. I want this in the worst way. My gym was open in late February and most of March. And I couldn't have felt safer there. They had a very limited amount of people in. I'm able to run on the treadmill. Here's my story. My knees are bad, so I can't run outside. I love to run, but I can't run outside. I can't run on the pavement. 
I've got friends that run 15 miles outside and they train for marathons and this and that, and that'll never be me. That's not going to be me. That's okay. But I can, I can get a good distance in, get a good speed up on a treadmill. It's the cuts and the turns, if you will. The cuts and the turns outdoors on pavement that uh, I don't I don't love, and my knees feel terrible afterwards. So I can go for a long walk. I can go for a bike ride. I can't run. So I want that gym open. and uh, But I'm also well aware, if you will, that the timing may not be right. It may not be right for that yet. Um, a drink on a patio? Oh, <laughs> right now, yes, absolutely. Let's open those things up safely and accordingly. What I won't be able to handle a little later on today at 3 o'clock, and you'll hear that news conference with Premier Ford, they, they found him, uh, and uh, Dr. David, you know, for now, Dr. David Williams at 3 o'clock is, well, all that hard work, that stay-at-home order, all those outdoor restrictions that made no sense, were anti-science, anti-exercise, anti-outdoor socialization, all those things worked. Well, did they? Are you sure about that? Have you like have you seen the numbers? They told us. Dr. David Williams told us a week ago, a week ago, and and I don't have the clip ready yet, but I'm going to have it ready in our next segment. Told us a week ago, we got to get these cases down to 1,000 before we lift the stay-at-home order. He said that. Do you think we're at a thousand cases a day in Ontario? <laughs> no, we're not at half that. The seven-day average is 2,210. But, you know, don't worry about it. Just like, just move forward. And there are some things we should move forward with that were stupid, nonsensical, and damaging to all of us. I can't believe we're sitting here 35 days after they attempted to close playgrounds. They closed tennis courts, pickleball courts, golf courts, uh, took basketball rims down, discouraged, you know, road hockey for our kids. Like, we should be having youth sport practices. I will be adamant about that. I want those starting next week. And we're not going color-coded. Fantastic. Maybe that can spur us into that. But make no mistake, at 3 o'clock when they tell you all the, all the hard work you did outdoors and avoiding golf courses and having those pops afterwards with the guys that you play with, um, no, th- those haven't made a damn bit of difference. You know it. I know it. I'd like to think they know it, but I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse. Sylvia Jones, the Solicitor General, is the one that said, you know, we want you to rat out your neighbors. We want cops to stop you and ask for your, your home address. we got to figure out where you're going. She wanted that. And the cops said, forget it. Not in a million trillion years. Is that in our, our duties? Our, is that our jurisdiction? Is that in our code of conduct? Is that something that we can go to bed at night and feel good about doing? Stopping the average Ontarian in their car from going from point A to point B and saying, where are you going? What, what are you doing? Why are you out? Of course they said they weren't going to do that. Phone numbers uh, 905-645-3221, star 900 on your cell. Before all the celebration starts at 3 o'clock and we realize, hey, there's things we can do again we haven't been able to do, I do think it's worthy of some retrospective thinking. Um, I live in, in Durham region, and uh, I need you to know that for... MPPs. This took four MPPs put a statement out. Okay, um, the these are the MPPs: Lindsey Park, Durham MPP, Ajax MPP, Rod Phillips. You'd remember he's the former finance minister. He likes um, he enjoys long walks in 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 the forest, uh, tropical vacations during a stay at home order, and uh, and pretending he's working in Ontario when he's actually in St. Bart's. You remember him? 
Um, he's also got the Leafs in six. I, I think that's probably accurate. Pickering Uxbridge MPP, Peter Bethlen Falvey, who's the new finance minister. Isn't that cute? And Whitby MPP, Lauren Coe. Here's their statement. Alicia, give me some give me some uh, classical music. Give me something that's a little hoity-toity. Yeah, just, just for the messaging here. It was really amazing. Um, here's their statement. It t- again, it took four MPPs to release this. They, they sent this out three days ago after the motion was voted down for outdoor activities to come back and be done safely where they're being done everywhere else. Safely. Doi. Here's the statement. As the Minister of Health has said, the impacts of these public health measures and the stay-at-home order will continue to be evaluated over the coming weeks. With consideration being made to the opening of outdoor recreational amenities on or before June 2nd, subject to the current positive trends continuing. They ain't that positive, but you're going to open anyway. Actually, that's true. I love this part. In the meantime, I encourage everyone to get outside for a run. Take your children or grandchildren to the park. Join the thousands who have been out biking or just spend a little extra time in the garden. Just be sure to keep a safe social distance or wear a mask if that's not possible. That's rich. I walk past apartment buildings, like seven giant complexes on Harwood Avenue in Ajax. Them people don't have gardens, sirs and madams. They don't have gardens. Take your grandchildren to the park in in the same car? We're not supposed to do that. Kind of make that. How about meet your grand uh, grandkids at the park? Taking the grandchildren to the park would imply a single trip, okay? Unless your grandchildren can drive, and if then, well, I I would say you shouldn't be driving, but I don't know that to be sure. We can always reexamine, you know, driver's license requirements for people over eighty. We can always do that. There's some, age is just a number. I'm well aware of that, but isn't that rich? Spend a little extra time in the garden. Why? Why is that any less safe than golfing or more safe than golfing? Honestly, honestly, the temerity. Then yesterday, I see this. I see this come from the uh, the provincial government. Christine Elliott, the health minister, had a very different statement than Solicitor General Sylvia Jones. You know, the cops boss who really she's the one that went on radio two weeks ago and said, well, we didn't change anything. We just wanted to see if the modeling was accurate. You know, when hospitals got rammed with ICUs and we have the embarrassment of building field tents and putting patients in them and importing doctors and nurses from other provinces and potentially other countries. Oh, you know, we just wanted to see if the modeling was accurate. Again, you're saying the quiet part out loud, lady. Health Minister Christine Elliott. Here's what she says yesterday. We do encourage people to be outdoors. We do encourage them to go out and enjoy this wonderful weather that we're experiencing. This is something important for everyone to do, not just children, everyone. It improves everyone's mental health to be outside, to go for a walk, go for a run, go for a bike ride, do whatever you want to do. Apparently that last sentence isn't accurate. The do whatever you want to do is what you've been limiting us from doing for the last 35 damn days. Now, Solicitor General Sylvia Jones follows up Christine Elliott's statement by completely contradicting Christine Elliott's statement. You know... I have to say, it is a little frustrating. It is challenging. We have seen when there is a holiday or a long weekend or two weeks later. Unfortunately, we do see a mini spike in the number of cases. I guess I'm asking respectfully for people to be patient. You don't want to hear me count to 10 live on the radio, but I'm doing it mentally. I'm doing it. I'm keeping my control here. Okay? Walking in a park 
is not the same as playing tennis. I got it. I get it. Okay. But they're both equally safe. Who says? Every other province. Every state in the United States. Um, Every country in Europe. Every doctor that isn't the chief medical officer of health for the province who will um, grant us our privileges back today a little later on. Your phone calls are next, four one, uh, excuse me, 905-645-3221, 905-645-3221. You tell me what the province should do later today. What do you want open? What do you want closed? Knowing we're not close to the threshold, knowing it's a plan that's just being made up as we go along. And there are some things that I absolutely feel should be open. We're way too closed up. We're way too locked down. The fires that exist in our province are there by design by not getting vaccines to those fires at the appropriate times and allowing essential workplaces to basically not mandate masks, not mandate distancing, and not provide paid sick days for employees that aren't feeling well and likely because of COVID. It's not got anything to do with golf, tennis, back a backyard gathering. If you happen to have a television in your backyard and you're having somebody over to see Leafs Canadians tonight, like another couple or four other people, and you're and you're partially vaccinated, go for it, my friends. That's as safe as activity as it can get. Oh, that's not what the province says. Right. <laughs> you're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring on the uh, current leader of the Ontario Liberal Party uh, and MPP for the Liberal Party, Stephen Del Duca. Stephen, it is great to talk to you. Thank you very much for making the time for me. Thanks for having me on, Greg. What is your anticipation of what gets announced at 3 o'clock today? Well, I, I will tell you what I'm hopeful for. I am mm-hmm. hopeful that Doug Ford will confirm that he is following what the science table is uh, advising. He will share with us transparently what their advice is. And at a, at a bare minimum, because we called for this earlier this week, we voted in favor of it earlier this week, the science table has been asking for it for weeks Safe and responsible outdoor activities, I think, should be top of the list. Uh, If we're going to hear more beyond just what should happen this weekend, I want them to really focus on, again, following the science, uh, how are small businesses going to reopen and stop putting preferential treatment forward for big box and larger corporations. It's got to be a small business first recovery. Thousands and thousands of Ontario women who've been forced out of the workforce, the she session, as it's called. Mm-hmm. What's the plan to get them back into the workforce in schools? My kids are in grade eight and grade four here in York region. Parents across Ontario want to hear what the plan is for schools and want to know it's real, it's safe, it's healthy. So that's what I'm looking to hear today, Greg. I hope. I hope. Are you hopeful they'll be back uh, before the end of June? Or do you say more a plan for a safe return in September that feels a lot more like a normal school year? Is it more more one than the other or a combination of both? Well, I think like a lot of parents across Ontario, I'm a little bit all over the place. I know that there's no better place for my daughters than to be physically in a school where the classrooms are safe and healthy, where people, to the extent that it's possible, are vaccinated, where the class sizes are small, there's proper ventilation. Like the online learning stuff has just not been a good experience. I don't think Mm -hmm. for anyone in Ontario, if anyone, very, very few. Mm -hmm. I want my kids back in school, but I don't want... I don't want to have a half-hearted, half-measured kind of plan like we've had in the past with no proper investment from Doug Ford, and then continue to see you know problematic cases start to rise again. So if they can't make the investment to get it done right in the next few weeks, I'd much rather that we collectively take the time over the summer to make sure that in September we really hit the ground running properly. I think what will anger, Stephen, a lot of Ontarians today is the suggestion, and it will anger me, 
um, that the case numbers have dropped because of the punitive outdoor restrictions. I think the vast majority, almost a overwhelming majority of doctors have said this is wrong, this is damaging, and this feels punitive. Um, if the numbers have dropped, it's not because we've banned golf, tennis, and, uh, and, and pickleball and use sports practices. Yeah, you're 100% right. And, and the only... The only weird thing to me, Greg, is that like it's Thursday today and this past Monday. So three days ago, there was a motion in the House by the legislature brought forward by the opposition. We voted in favor of it, basically saying safe and responsible outdoor activities should begin again immediately. It is what the doctors have been calling for. Doug Ford and his government voted against it. They actually attacked the opposition this past Monday and said we were being reckless. So now it's Thursday. Now, I am hopeful and we've seen media reports that he will announce today that this weekend Outdoor activities, as long as it's safe and responsible, can reopen. I just it begs the question: What changed for Doug Ford between Monday when he said no and Thursday when he said yes? Uh, regardless, I'd like to see safe and responsible outdoor outdoor activities uh, uh, begin again uh, this uh, this weekend and beyond. I think Ontarians can be trusted to do the right thing. Well, I think, and uh, I, you know, I, I think I can get a, a nod and a wink from you. Every politician likes to say, it "Was my idea? It wasn't theirs?" So there's part of that happening, right? Well, I guess, I guess so. I mean, I, if I was being a little bit darker or more cynical about this, I'd tell you that Doug Ford, who's very much focused on his re-election efforts and his campaign polling and all that stuff, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that over the last couple of days, he and his team, his campaign team, have probably been doing polling and showing that it's wildly popular. So they've decided to change their minds on it. Not the way to govern a province at the best of times and certainly not the way to do it during a crisis. Having said that, I want the outdoor activities reopened safely and responsibly. So I'm hoping he says that today. Stephen Del Duca is our guest on the Bill Kelly Show. Greg Brady and for Bill, he is the current leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Uh, are there elements of the stay-at-home order that you believe, again, given the case numbers, we're at a we're at a rolling seven-day average of twenty-two hundred still. Um, we're not out of the woods yet, not by a long shot. As as much as vaccinations are uh, really, really encouraging, and and Ontarians are really stepping up and not being hesitant. Are there elements of the stay-at-home order we have to keep working with until June second and maybe longer? Look, I really believe at this point, especially as grueling and, and, and as much suffering as we've had to go through as a province over the last 15 months, it is far better to be prudent and responsible, to be slow and steady at this point. Really listen to the scientists. They're not perfect, but they are. But they have that background. They have the, the knowledge and the, the educational background, and they understand this virus far better than politicians like me or Doug Ford do. Uh, and so just slow and steady, incremental progress, get the vaccines up. I will tell you, I'm a little bit alarmed this week. It's good that the case numbers of COVID have come down, but I'm a little bit alarmed that the testing numbers in Ontario have also dropped a lot this week. I think a couple of days this week, we were, you know, we were like 20, 22, 23,000 daily tests. That's way below our capacity. So I'd like to see that ramp up again, even for asymptomatic Ontarians, because that is one of the tools that needs to be deployed. So we avoid, God forbid, a fourth wave, Um, but slow and steady, prudent, responsible. We will get there. We just can't afford any more missteps. Here's what I wonder about that with the testing, though. Without with people having no destination to go, travel pretty much is off the books. Uh, obviously, school. I think for we saw we saw we did see a provincial government that was not ready for the fall. They weren't ready for testing right. for teachers for students. This is why I saw I saw video. I still think about it. I saw moms lined up with three kids because maybe dad's working in a soccer field and they're waiting five yeah. hours uh, to get it's a cold. test, maybe yeah. even for just one of the kids. That was horrifying. But at yeah. the same time, um, I do wonder, with all of us at home, who is who is demanding tests right now? I figured the testing numbers would drop. Um, 
you would have thought the same, wouldn't you, after 35 days of this? Well, listen, we've got, if I'm not mistaken, um, the capacity in Ontario to do between 60 and 70,000 a day. I mean, I called earlier in the pandemic for that number to even grow, but let's just assume 60 to 70,000. You know, when you're trying to come out of the third wave to be doing 22, 23,000 a day just makes me nervous. And it's not so much to say that number has to climb tomorrow. I just want to have the peace of mind knowing mm. that the infrastructure is in place. So, for example, if they're going to reopen schools in some parts of the province, we're ready to go. Essential workplaces, you were talking about this before I came on air. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who are still working in those places. So I know we're focused on vaccines right now. But doctors and scientists are also saying you kind of have to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yes, focus on vaccines, but don't drop the ball completely on testing and, and, uh, and contact tracing. So just urging the government to make sure we don't drop that ball so we get a rude surprise over the summer or into the fall. When we get closer to the fall, um, there's a lot of debate since you brought up uh, your two kids, my two kids. I think about it and I think about how what a year this has been for the teachers and how they are, uh, you know, uh, again, beyond they have gone beyond the call of duty to to flex back and forth between yeah. being in person, being online and managing their own households. Would you like to see every teacher, every kid have an opportunity for full vaccination before September? And should we be asking for proof of that? We do it for MMR. We do it for chicken pox. Um, this feels like, a, at least for this fall, maybe not in fall of 22, but this feels a really important fall to do that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would love, I mean, like my older daughter is 13. She'll be 14 later this year. I would love, but we know that kids 12 to 17 can now receive the vaccine safely. Um, I would love to see kids, teachers, frontline education workers be prioritized for, especially now that our supply numbers have come way up. Like we actually have, thank goodness, an abundance of supply now. Um, I'd love to see that to be to be part of the priority sequencing, if I can put it that way, over the summer. Mm -hmm. I think the proof of vaccination, it's a really interesting discussion. I would love to hear again what the doc doctors and the scientists have to say about that. You are right. We do we do require that for MMR and and for others. So I think that's a really interesting point. But beyond the vaccines and beyond the proof of vaccines, there's a couple of other things Doug Ford needs to do this year for September for the reopening of schools that he did not do last year. So, you know, we're not going to fix it overnight, but we still have a brutal problem with uh, ventilation and windows that don't open properly and boilers like the state of good repair or in this case, bad repair in too many of Ontario schools. Mm -hmm. That should be some of the focus, I think, over the summer months. I will tell you, just dropping all of our kids onto day one of a school reopening in September and pretending like nothing's happened, like there are no lingering mental health challenges, like they're all just going to transition on day one easily, I think is a mistake. I think yeah. they should start to consider whether we're going to have a staged reopening like we did last year. Uh, I think even on the side about burnout and not just for teachers, principals, school bus drivers, early childhood educators, I think some real thought has to be given to that. But here's the most important thing. If we're going to make up a lot of the lost ground that we've experienced this year in publicly funded education, smaller class sizes are essential. And that can't yeah. be done overnight, Greg. Like last July, I came out with a plan to have, you know, cap, class sizes capped at 15. And everybody, including the government, said, oh, it's way too late in the game. You can't do that. It's May. We have until September to figure this out. But the planning can't wait till July or August. It's got to start now. Also, really quickly, Doug Ford has not had a real conversation with parents and frontline education workers, including teachers and their representatives, for over a year. I served in government in a couple of different senior portfolios. He's got to pick up the phone and talk to real people who are on the front lines to figure out how to get it right for this September.
Yeah, I know. I know. Even aside from education, Stephen, the restaurant industry came out yesterday and said, "Like, we got to have conversations. You want us to tell you how we'll open safely? Let's have let's have a back and forth about it." Um, I want to move to to the election next year. Um, I, it's it's no secret, and you know this, and you probably think about it every day. Your party's got some ground to make up with eight seats. You have made a commitment for gender parity for your candidates in the next election. Um, but has that limited male candidates? I know that in Ajax, where I live, um, a, a nominee has been mentioned, but males were not allowed to go to seek the nomination. Um, yeah, in, a- in Ajax, just the other night, you're right. We nominated Amber Bowen. She's a fantastic lady. She's a she's a teacher. She's a, an ed- a elementary teachers federation representative. Hard worker, local. She's going to make a great MPP for you, Greg. But 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 why but, why could why could men not put their name forward even to be considered for the nomination? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I'll, I'll tell you. I've been around the party for uh, and politics and, and governing for quite some time, and we have been talking not just in the Ontario Liberal Party, but in many political parties, we've been talking about achieving gender parity amongst things like candidates and MPPs now for more than a couple of decades, really. Mm-hmm. And some great advancements and strides have been made. But we, and I'll speak now only for the Ontario Liberal Party, we came close in 2018. I think we got to 44%, which is great. It was great progress. But we've never actually gotten all the way to 50-50. Women represent 50% of the population here in this province. And when I was running for leader, I made this commitment. That commitment that I made was endorsed overwhelmingly by liberal delegates of the convention that elected me in March of 2020. And I'm a guy who tries to live up to the commitments that I make. So Right now, with the 36 or 37 candidates we've nominated, we're at 61% female, which is great. Uh, still a lot of ridings left to go. And, and a lot of women and men, qualified, talented, energized, who are wanting to run, who are working hard to run. It's going to be a great lineup of candidates who will form, if we work hard enough, a really great government for Ontario. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a real interesting. I, I don't see a wrong side of it, but I think I think the the concept of gender parity is is wonderful, and I don't mean it on paper. It's on. It's obviously meant to be a practical commitment as well. Um, yeah. But I was curious if you've had any pushback in any ridings where you say, "Well, this is a female riding, and this is a more open riding." Yeah, just really quickly. The, the other thing I'll say is, I was upfront about it before we started nominations mm-hmm. last July. When we July of twenty twenty, we. When we updated what's called our rules of procedure for nominations, I did a series of virtual consultation events with party members across the province. And I told them straight up that we were going to be including in the rules of procedure the the right to declare a nomination in a particular writing for women only. And that view was endorsed before we opened it up and started nominating. We've only done it in a handful of cases which is a really cool thing to me that a lot of a lot of this stuff is happening organically. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'll just finish up by saying Amber will be a great MPP for you and your family, Craig. <laughs> I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to uh, to ask her questions. And, and hopefully we're in a great spot where uh, people can go door to door. I know that's been 100%. tricky in by-elections and uh, and uh, we look forward to, you know, seeing a healthy debate and uh, and considering all the options. Thank you very much. Uh, great. Agreed. And, and great to be on the show with you today. Stay safe and healthy. You bet, Stephen. Thank you very much. That's Stephen Del Duca, Ontario Liberal Leader. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Very excited to bring on our next guest. He's a senior NHL editor for ESPN, and uh, it's a dual uh, congratulations because they are now a primo rights holder once again in the United States uh, for hockey. They don't have the playoffs yet. In fact, Game 2 of Leafs-Canadians will be on CNBC, of all things, Squawk Box will not be seen in its uh, entirety <laughs> Saturday night because of that. Uh, Greg Wyshynski joins us now. But the news with Shepard Smith will still air. Thank God he's found another home. Greg, it's great to have you on. How are you doing? 
Well, it's 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 pretty cool. Like the current rights deal in the U.S., we uh, you know when the game is over on NBCSN, it's a classic car auction, and when the game's <laughs> over on CNBC, it's a Shark Tank rerun. So it's 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 good to just leave the set on after. Uh, yeah, I, I would. The Highland Games have moved. Uh, all those lumberjack games uh, will have to vacate uh, the ESPN channels next April and May. You'll be wall to wall, won't they? That's, it, it is a big deal because you've done work for Sportsnet before, and I remember being at Sportsnet uh, when they announced the massive. It's been much discussed whether whether it was ultimately uh, financially beneficial or not, but but getting the big twelve year rights package and uh, and it's but it's weird because the rights holder has. I'm sure you're thrilled because as you know, you go in, you've gone into enough locker rooms and in a pre COVID time, you will again. And the players will tell you, they're like, ESPN, we have to have it. Scotty Bowman didn't know how to find Versus or the Outdoor Life <laughs> Network. I remember him telling me that when I would travel with the Red Wings in 2005, 2006 for the playoffs. A lot of the players couldn't even see the other teams play in the postseason when they traveled. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and yeah, and, and, and what's cool about it is that, like, whether you're talking to the boys or you're talking to the executives, uh, they're all excited. I mean, you know, the, I've talked to many executives through the years that were Obviously, their primary thing was get us on multiple networks in the U.S. since the NHL was the only uh, major pro sports league to have a monolithic rights deal with one network. So that's it. That's mm-hmm. by this. But they also obviously loved the idea of ESPN being involved in the sport. And, you know, I was talking to a player the other day and just like the, the uh, you know, the notion of how we're able to kind of take the personalities and take the star players from different sports and, and really kind of like strap a rocket to their backs and, uh, and have them uh, become, you know, major celebrities and, and major points of interest. I mean, obviously, for this young generation of NHL stars, it's got to be a, a super appealing thing to have this uh, ESPN slash Disney machinery uh, ready to uh, crank out coverage on uh, on their game. Well, ha- has to be, and uh, and I'm happy you're going to be. Uh, you and Emily both do a great job, and you're going to be uh, heavily involved. All right, it's a rite of passage, and as you can imagine, spring. You know, the flowers bloom, people get outdoors uh, more, and Nazem Kadri commits a dangerous hit in the <laughs> NHL playoffs. It's it's as sure as death and taxes. Oh my God! Um, what did you make of of the hit last night? And when you run down the track record, um, boy, you have you have a repeat offender. Ad nauseum in the postseason. This is three of the last four postseasons he's laid somebody out in a really dangerous way. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, they reviewed the hit last night uh, on the ice. They thought it was an illegal check to the head, gave him the match penalty for it. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how, how long the suspension is. I mean, the last time he was suspended, it was for the entirety of the first round. That was for a retaliatory cross check to the face of Jake DeBrusque of the Bruins. Um, you know, he, he's, he's had a couple of years where, you know, he's been quote unquote clean. Um, so that'll factor into whatever the punitive phase of this thing is, but you can't ignore the history and you can't ignore the fact, like you said, I think that he's done this specifically in the first round of the playoffs now, uh, a bunch of times. So I, my prediction, here's the way I see it. I'd be surprised if it's not the rest of the first round, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit more. I mean, I, I think he's somebody who's sort of in a unique position as a repeat offender. And also, keep this in mind, too. Like, we just got through that whole Tom Wilson thing with the Rangers where the Department of Player Safety is, like, counting pixels and should a gloved punch be a thing. You know, all that nuance that went into that decision, this is a, a lot cleaner decision for them. I mean, a, a Rule 48 hit to the head is something that shouldn't even be happening in 2021 based on the way they've ruled on these things. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they went a little bit longer than the first round just to make an example of them. 
Greg Wyshynski joining us from ESPN. Yeah, a couple people. I got two different um, comparisons via text last night. One was Chris Neal on on uh, Chris Drury in 2007, but the other one that stuck out was was it, it's Matt Cook on Mark Savard. That's very much what the hit looks like, and. Boy, and and that was a crap storm when Colin Campbell didn't suspend uh, Matt Cook for that. We all remember that at the time, well, and we've we've evolved a lot. That's a dozen years ago where we take player safety a ton more seriously. Well, and, and here I'll give you another example because it was the one that Ryan O'Reilly gave last night after the game, which is mm-hmm. the Tom Wilson hit on Oscar Sundquist that earned Wilson twenty games. Um, now, granted, that was more like because he had like four suspensions in a in a really short period of time. But, uh, but I mean, that's the kind of hit that in, in this part, this current era, uh, is so, uh, frowned upon and so outlawed that, uh, you know, it, you can expect to be a pretty hefty suspension for it. Greg Wyshynski joining us from ESPN. So give me the read. Um, you have, you have, um, I, I, I will not call it the kiss of death, but you have selected the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs <laughs> as your eventual Stanley Cup champion, correct? Correct. I mean, I, I think they have the easiest path through their own division. Um, and uh, I think that the adjustments that they made from the previous postseason, uh, bringing in a lot of character veteran guys um, who should, in theory, have something left in the tank in a 56-game season, and then also just making some smart augmentations, not only what Sheldon Keith did systematically, but also bringing in guys like T.J. Brody, um, to make the team stouter defensively, which I thought was their real failing. You know, I, I didn't think the Leafs in any part of Austin Matthews' reign there has looked like a team that could defend at a championship level, and I think this is the first year it feels that way. And then on top of that, too, I mean, listen, I'm a columnist, right? I mean, you have mm-hmm. to also kind of deal with the narrative sometimes, and if there was any other way to end this weird season than the Leafs lifting the Stanley Cup for the first time since 1967, uh, just so all the other fan bases can be like, it's a fake season. They didn't even play outside their division. Uh, it'd be this one, right? It'd be the perfect w- uh, way for everybody to be happy. Leafs win, and we can all kind of still detract the victory because it happened in an anomalous season. The goaltending is the obvious question. Would you be as confident with uh, this team really seems to have taken to Jack Campbell? I feel like there's some there's some subtle signaling among the younger players, especially that they like this dude and not that they didn't like Freddie Anderson. But, you know, you can never find a teammate to say, well, we got a lot more confidence in goalie A than goalie B. But four straight first round crash outs. I thought he I thought he was amazing against the Capitals, actually, the year that Washington knocked them out when they finally got back to the playoffs in 2017. Subsequently, there have been some leakers and especially in key games. Would you be less confident if, if Freddie was the starting goalie? I would. I, I think Jack Campbell fits that role of being a competent goaltender behind a very good team, and and that's sometimes all you all you need in the playoffs is you need a guy that's not going to be some someone who costs you something. You know, he's not going to be a liability. You just want someone who's going to be consistent and and make the necessary saves. Maybe not the guy that's going to steal a series, but the guy that's not going to cost you a series. And I do think that in some cases in the last couple of years, Fred Anderson has not been that guy. I think he's been a guy that, that sometimes can be a detraction to what the Leafs are trying to achieve in the playoffs. So if Campbell can just be your, let me throw, I mean, you know, Chris Osgood is the high yeah. end of the spectrum <laughs> for these, these comparisons. Maybe Antti Niemi is the low end of the spectrum for these compar- comparisons. But, like, if you've got a really good team and you play good D in front of them, you just need a guy sometimes that doesn't make mistakes. And I think Jack Campbell could fit that bill. 
It's really fascinating to think uh, to think that he might. What will I mean? You've traveled enough up here and been to enough Canadian rings to know um, the reaction here would be. I don't know what to compare it to. The Cubs waited forever to win the World Series, but again, <laughs> they got to go to those games, gather in Wrigleyville. There's Cub fans all over the country that were able to be in pubs and bars. As you said, it's just a very different spring and summer this year. It is, but on top of that, like the Leafs are a very different franchise. I mean, when the when the Cubs broke through, they were the lovable Cubs finally winning. When the Red Sox broke through, they were the team that was tortured by the Yankees for decades on end, finally breaking through. They had the Buckner thing. Like, there's a certain lovable loserdom that happens with these teams that have long championship droughts. And then you have the Leafs. Like, like yeah. I think there's part of us that just want to see this thing end, but then there's a whole lot of us that don't that never want to see the Leafs win. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, you know, it's funny, like, you think back 10 years ago when the, when the Canucks played the Bruins, right? And, and the big interesting dynamic in that series was this mean team from Boston that just beats, ever, uh, beats up everybody became, like, the heroic team in the eyes of a lot of people because the Canucks were like a dirty team, right? So yeah. it, it could very well be the same thing happens here where if the Bruins and Leafs somehow play for the Cup, which mathematically could happen this season, um, it, it probably is a situation, again, where the Bruins become the face and the Leafs are the heel, and, uh, and everybody is putting their full faith in Boston to keep this drought going. I've always made the case that, um, and, and I think we saw this with the Red Sox. I mean, Bill Simmons wrote that famous book, Now I Can Die in Peace, in that your fandom is going, like, the fandom period is going to change. Will people be as obsessed? I've never seen people more obsessed with regular season wins and losses, win two games, lose two games, um, take six out of ten points, as I have here. It, it reminds me of being in an NFL city. And I did radio in Detroit so long. You're a long-suffering New York Jets fan. I watched it with Lions fans. The entire obsession with the ups and downs way more downs to me would change if the Leafs won the Stanley Cup not that people would be less engaged but it it just you you got that you finally can put that away in your closet and you can't be that team anymore that uh that that, you know that, that you're obsessed by game after game after game you're sort of like you can imagine in Detroit with the Red Wings people were like there's a lot going on just wake me up when the playoffs start that's a lot of NHL markets to be honest yeah you, it's true. It's it's like one of those deals where um, your identity as a franchise almost has to change because you're you're no that's not your your year to year annual thing. And and I got to be honest with you, like I've talked, I've got friends from Boston that are Red Sox fans, and you know you, you kind of lose a little bit of your identity when you're no yeah. longer the team that's constantly in the chase. And I'm not saying it's going to dull the senses and that they're not going to be passionate Leafs fans. I mean, my goodness, the the run they're going to have for the next decade or so with, with Matthews and Marner there is, is still going to be something that's going to bring fans to the building every, every season when they're allowed to. But it does sort of change the identity. Like, as a Jets fan, uh, if they ever won the Super Bowl, I don't know if I'll ever watch another NFL game. Like, like the, whole, the whole point right now of my existence is to, to, see, to see them eventually win again. So, I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum, but honestly – as we know, like one that Leafs fans would be more than happy to uh, to deal with. Uh, you were a Zach, you were a Zach Wilson stand. This is like being for the uh, war before you were against. You were a Sam Darnold stand before you were a Zach Wilson stand. That's just you've evolved as. <laughs> oh man, uh, Chad Pennington. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> well, Mark, I San- Mark Sanchez won Ryan. four road playoff games. There was some belief in Mark Sanchez until there wasn't. There had to be. Yeah, and Re- and Rex Ryan too. No, but no, your point taken. Like. You know, I'm a Devils, Mets, Jets, and Nets fan, right? And, uh, you know, I, I got to see the Devils win three. I got to see the Mets win in 86. Mm. Um, I never got to see the Jets win. And uh, the Nets are 
Sure, well, they're an interesting, an interesting creature these days. Um, well, but I, I, uh, but the Jets are like I, I feel that's why I understand the passion that people have for like teams that either have long championship droughts or just have never won, and uh, and the idea that you kind of live and die with your team until it happens. Greg Wachinski is kind of to join us from ESPN. Um, Edmonton last night, like that's why if you were going on an Edmonton station right now, they yeah they'd be throwing things out of the car while remaining socially distanced from other drivers. But that result last night was not a positive one. And they're like, God, here we go again. Eventually, your Gretzky's, your Mario Lemieux missed the playoffs five of his first six years. But when you have Connor McDavid and when you have Leon Dreisaitl, you can imagine in Alberta the idea in Edmonton of another uh, early playoff exit and a first round. Like, it makes game two tomorrow night pretty damn massive, doesn't it? It does, and I got to tell you, out of all the stuff that I've seen in the playoffs so far, I got to say that um, that was the most shocking result. Like, mm-hmm. like you're, the, you're the Jets, you got Ehlers out, and, and they score a goal a game more with Ehlers in than with Ehlers out. You got Pierre-Luc Dubois out, who was getting like Jonathan Taves comparisons last postseason for the way he played for Columbus. You have an Oilers team that beat them in seven of nine meetings this season, and you have a guy in McDavid, we scored 22 points against them in nine games, and they went like on the road. It was it was stunning. I mean, I, I I I hesitate to say something like this because it's a long series, and by no means do I think the Winnipeg Jets are unbeatable. But I mean, that's a real kick in the teeth. How do you come back from that? That's a game you have to win if you're Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've you've written a lot about, uh, and the pandemic coverage has been so different. But in a way, we're pretty surprised we're even here. Like, first of all, it's pretty surprising it's May twentieth because you probably have a body clock as I do that's conditioned for it to be about April fourteenth right now. But it's not, and we're going to play the conference finals in late June, and we're going to play the Stanley Cup final in July. And that said. It's amazing. You know there were owners that said, I'm not even sure if I want to even open up the doors. If I can't have fans, I'm losing money anyway. If I can't have fans, I'm losing a ton more money. Is it a little surprising we even got here, even with some cases, even with what happened to the Canucks? We're here now. Yeah, and and so you credit two people for that. From a a sort of uh, systemic uh, perspective, you, you credit Gary Bettman because you're right. There were owners that didn't want to play. And Bettman has, say what you will about the guy, he's managed to keep his teams in line throughout the entirety of his, of his administration, you know, going back like 30 years. Like he's done a really good job making sure there's nobody going rogue. And, uh, you know, he managed to get everybody on the same page, get them to play. Um, the promise, obviously, being that they were going to have a full 82 game next se- 82 game season next season mm-hmm. and have fans back in the building. That's looking pretty good. And then the other group I I, I credit obviously are the players. I mean, the, what they did last year in the bubble is still to my to, to in my eyes underrated. Like people don't appreciate the sacrifice they made enough because we don't want to put them over uh, as far as like being sacrificial because of how many how much other sacrifices happened in society in all of the other levels. But what they did was, was really incredible to be that way from their families, to be in these situations. And then for the next year to get tested every day and be in protocols and, and having their lives go from one thing to a completely different thing. And most of all, I mean, I know that mm-hmm. we had like well over 100 guys end up on the COVID absences list. But I mean, the majority of them really kind of stuck to the protocols and tried to do, to do, to do this thing right and just get through the season. And it looks like we're going to be able to do it. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. 
Fingers crossed. Uh, hey, uh, love talking to you. Uh, really respect your uh, your stuff over the years, quite obviously, and uh, people can find you on ESPN.com. Thanks very much for the time, Greg. Anytime, bud. Thanks. Okay. Greg Wyshynski joining us from ESPN. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.